Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Foo followers. You can now listen to the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast on Stitcher. Stitcher has over 65,000 radio shows and podcasts, including this one, which you can stream direct to your iPhone, iPad, Android, or PC. It's free too. Just go to stitcher.com and search for the Kung Fu Movie Guide. You can also subscribe to us via iTunes. And if you like the show, remember to give it a star rating or a quick review to help to spread the good word of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. Head to Kung kungfumovieguide.com for the latest martial arts movie reviews. We are also on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. The Twitter name is at KF Movie Guide. And if you want to send me an email, then the email address is hello at kungfumovieguide.com. Okay, we've got a great show for you today with the awesome Michael Worth. Thank you very much for joining us. Here we go. Well, if you're really so determined to have a fight, then I'll oblige. yes 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 foo followers around the world how are you how are you doing i hope you're well i hope you're um staying sane it's a it's a crazy world out there at the moment um but don't worry, followers of the Foo, this is a this is a safe place here on the Kung Fu Movie Guy podcast. So happy that you could join me. My name is Ben Johnson. This is my show. Today I am talking Bruce Bloitation with the awesome action movie star, director, author, and fellow podcaster Michael Worth. This was a great thing to be able to uh, geek out about all things Bruce Lee and Bruce Bloitation uh, with Michael, who has become something of a scholar. I guess, uh, in this particularly strange uh, sub-genre of uh, kung fu movies. Uh, if you're not aware of what Bruceploitation is, uh, then Bruceploitation is a sort of catch-all term that relates to a, a genre of films popular in the 70s and 80s, uh, immediately following the death of Bruce Lee. When Bruce Lee died, that left a huge void in the Hong Kong film industry. It was filled by a number of imitators uh, who were given names like Bruce Lai, Bruce Le, Bruce Lung, uh, Dragon Lee. These are just some of the more famous ones. There were many others. Um, and some of the classic film titles from this period include films like Bruce Lee's Deadly Kung Fu, uh, Enter the Game of Death, The Clones of Bruce Lee, uh, Bruce's Fingers, Bruce Lee the Man, the Myth, Bruce Lee Fights Back from the Grave. I'm not making any of these up, by the way. Most of these films are pretty bad uh, and obviously very uh, exploitative in their nature. Uh, but interestingly, a lot of them feature some very talented uh, kung fu filmmakers and performers from the period. So they do uh, have a sort of cult following. Michael grew up watching and loving a lot of these movies as a kid uh, growing up in California. And he is now in the process of completing a documentary uh, all about the Bruce exploitation genre with Severin Films. 
Um, this interview with Michael was recorded back in March 2017, uh, so he was still gathering interviews for the documentary. Uh, by this point, he'd already got quite a few huge names. Uh, the names that feature in this documentary include some of the most famous Bruce Lee imitators, so Bruce Lai is in there, Bruce Long, Dragon Lee as well. Uh, there's also interviews with the popular stuntman and bit player Mars, uh, Casanova Wong, uh, the prolific director Godfrey Ho, Roy Horan is in there, the director Lee So Nam. Um, Michael met up with Shaw Brothers legends David Chang uh, and Lo Meng. They're all in there. And the documentary also includes uh, an interview with Philip Coe, the late Philip Coe. Um, since this interview with Michael was recorded, Philip uh, has uh, passed away. Philip didn't do many interviews, if any, uh, so it's great that Michael did manage to talk to him on camera for his documentary. There will also be an accompanying book uh, to go along with the documentary called The Bruce Bloitation Bible. Uh, all of this is planned to come out towards the end of 2017. Obviously, I'll keep you posted on all of that. He's also making some high-definition scans of some of these original Bruce exploitation films, uh, which is fantastic to hear. There's a plan to release uh, those on Blu-ray as well over the coming months. So that all sounds incredible. And obviously, I will keep you posted on all of that. Uh, in the meantime, check out Michael's work on The Clones Cast. It's a rather awesome podcast uh, in which Michael dissects a different Bruce exploitation film on every episode um, and also check out his other work Michael's uh, day job is as an actor and a filmmaker so back in the 90s he was a leading man in some popular martial arts movies which you may have seen Final Impact with Lorenzo Lamas that's one of them Fists of Iron uh, is another popular title with Matthias Hughes he worked as a fight choreographer on Dragon the Bruce Lee story itself a, a popular Bruce exploitation film in its own way uh, and he was also in the TV series Acapulco Heat in the 1990s. More recently Michael has become known as an accomplished writer and director uh, with titles that include uh, Killing Cupid, uh, God's Ears, that's about a boxer with uh, autism uh, and he's just finished an MMA film called The Butterfly Guard. This looks really interesting we're still awaiting a release date on that movie but if you want to keep up to date with the latest Michael Worth information then follow him on Twitter at Michael Worth and uh, for all the Bruce exploitation stuff that he does check out his Instagram page which is at Bruce exploitation underscore Bible. The timing of this podcast is is quite interesting as well because on Friday we saw the release of uh, Birth of the Dragon uh, finally getting its um, theatrical release. It was uh, released at some uh, film festivals in 2016. It stars Philip Ong uh, as a younger Bruce Lee uh, when he was teaching in San Francisco in the 1960s and the film covers the events leading up to his real-life fight with the Shaolin Kung Fu expert Wong Jack Man. Um, it's the sort of subject, actually, which has cropped up in a few Bruce exploitation films over the years. It's incredible, really, that Bruce Lee's uh, influence and story is, can still be felt some 44 years after he passed away. So it just goes to highlight, really, the uh, incredible place that Bruce Lee still holds in many people's hearts and minds all around the world. Listen, we name-check quite a few titles during this uh, episode. Um, I'm going to list out uh, these on the website page for this show. So go to kungfumovieguide.com to see all of that. 
Uh, and if you're interested in, in trying to find some of these titles, uh, then uh, actually Amazon Prime is a pretty decent place to start if you can't find the DVDs. Um, for some reason, Amazon have a, a wealth of Bruce Bloitation titles on there. So uh, if you're struggling to find some of these movies, head to Amazon Prime and you should be able to find some of them there. So I'll lead into my conversation with Michael now. Before I do, I'm just going to play a little snippet of the awesome theme song uh, to the Bruce Lee film Goodbye Bruce Lee, His Last Game of Death. Uh, this is a Bruce Bloitation film that came out in 1975. Uh, the track is called King of Kung Fu, and the band is called Candy, and it is quite sensational. So here we go then. Here's my chat all about the weird and wonderful world of Bruce Bloitation cinema uh, with the great Michael Worth. Can you bring me up to speed with where you are with this Bruce Bloitation documentary? I know you've been travelling around, you've met some really uh you know well, some absolute legends really where are you up to with with all of that yeah we're um we're basically a few more interviews um we want to grab over the next month one of the um, we're not going to go out there because but one of the guys that was out there with us last time is in hong kong right now and we're we haven't you know we don't know for sure yet because he's he's been like the one holdout we've been chasing the whole time is bruce lay yeah you know so we've got the other we've got the other guys we've got dragon we got bruce lie we got bruce lang but we just he's like the one guy that was holding out we're trying to get in Sing yoon who directed you know bruce lee the man the myth etc cetera, etc cetera. he's a big big part of the genre and then um here in la i'm trying to um talk to bolo and uh, then we may go to New York just to talk to try to get Angela Mao, um, sure. Seraph and Kara Alexis and a few others. But it's good. We'll yeah. Move along with it. Um, well, this sounds like a dream project. So I can't wait to watch this uh, <laughs> this documentary. Have you found the process quite easy trying to get hold of these guys? And a lot of them now must be in their 60s, 70s and sort of beyond. I mean, are you just to try and hunt them down? You've had to travel all over the world. I mean, how? how oh, let you, me tell you, let me it? tell you, that's a great part of the story because we actually went out there with only one guy we knew for sure. And because in, in what, Hong Kong and Taiwan, the way they kind of, and basically it was, we only knew we had Bruce Lang and Bruce Lai. That was it. That was really the only two that, that had agreed and said, yeah, come out on these dates and we'll do it. Sure. Everybody else was basically like, well, let us know a few days before you get here. And nobody would commit prior to it. So we would go out there and, of course, half of them would disappear. And then we would literally, like you said, because of just just the way the business is run out there, the way it's done, the way, you know, it's been like, you know, 20, 30, 40 years for some of these guys mm -hmm. who, who haven't worked. We were like chasing down puzzle by puzzle, piece by piece. We'd find a movie producer somewhere that actually worked with them. And that movie producer would know the stunt coordinator. Then we go through the stunt coordinator. I mean, it was insane. So we would literally day by day, not know who we were interviewing. Wow. And we would, it would sometimes just it was it was great the moments like for instance we'd get somebody locked in we would we'd be the most excited people on the face of the planet you <laughs> yeah. know of course the investors and uh, behind the project the, ex the executive producers they you know, it was a little nervous for them because they had to they had to put up money for these plane tickets and these hotel rooms and all this stuff for me and the the crew going out there 
and uh, you know with no, with nobody guaranteed or two people guaranteed at that point yeah. so um but in the end truthfully in the end it was a worthwhile risk because Time we were done we got a lot of, of, of really good stuff so that was good yeah so i've sort of been following this obviously through social media and you've been dropping quite a few images of uh casanova wong and philip co and mars and just these amazing people um do you gen- generally when you're speaking to these guys are they what are they they have quite fond memories of of these movies that they were involved in or a lot of them now are they are they sort of surprised that you know here's this guy from america with this crew that want to go and talk about these movies that they made you know 30 years ago i mean what what generally has been the response well it's a, it's a little bit of both i mean it's interesting though like for instance philip Coe, who you brought up he actually had never done an interview before wow yeah and so this was the first time he'd ever done one what was really fun was that we timed it and it was kind of an accident but we timed it when mars showed up so mars was gonna we were gonna talk to mars right after philip Coe, and they hadn't seen each other in like 20 some years wow and we, we caught it. It was great because we caught it on film when they sure. got to see each other. And then we sat them down and both talked to them. And um, But, uh, yeah, you're right. A lot of them are actually surprised because for – and one of the things we were um, – what this documentary and my, my book has sort of been following with, with regards to uh, these films is that, granted, we make fun of them. They're like a, a really sub-sub-genre of films. We, you know, there a lot of them are really terrible, and some of them are just sort of atrocious in the way that they would, you know, try to just exploit Bruce Lee sure. and his memory and all that stuff. But at the same time, a lot of these films would are either made by or have or include pretty notable figures in the history of Taiwan and Hong Kong cinema. Sure. And so the problem was is that these films were. Um, that would normally when you have a film print, you, you know, you have a negative and you have a, a inner positive and you you put the negative basically aside. That's your like kind of like gold mine of the film. And you keep good care of it. And when you make copies, you do it off of the positive or the inner positive or whatever. And so that way you're not burning out your negative. Well, that's not how they worked out there. They would basically print a movie up, have one copy of it, maybe draw a few prints off of that. And beat that negative to death. So yeah. what's happening is, is you go out there now and you're saying, can we see the original negatives? And this is what we did. We went to, uh, for instance, we went to Taiwan with uh, Lee So Nam, who directed Exit the Dragon and the sure. Tiger, or The Hot, the Cool, Hot, the Vicious, cool, the Vicious cetera, great film. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. the greatest. Um, and so we met with him a few times. And one of the things that we did, and we documented the whole thing, was we went with him to the Taiwan uh, Film Archive to watch... Um, particularly Edge of Fury because it was uh, one that he directed that had um, Karata in it, had Bruce Lai in it, and for our purposes with the Bruce Bloitation thing, it was very much in that um, realm. So we sat down and they pulled it out and they they screened it for us and and we got this all on film. You know, he looks over at the camera, he watches about thirty seconds of the print, and he looks at us and he goes, "Bad." and it was i mean this thing is just like this washed out if you look at it you see this washed out brown spotted print and so one of the 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 missions for me and for these guys that i'm working with over it uh with with um david gregory who's over at severn films who's helping us put this whole documentary together is is trying to find and restore and save what is left of these films so you don't just have this 
semi-washed-out, four-by-three crop version that floats around on YouTube for the rest of time. Yeah, you know? and let's be honest, Michael, like, when I grew up watching a lot of these movies, it was sort of VHS days, and it was really, you know, <laughs> the quality of these films has been not very well protected over the years, has it? And the people are used to seeing them as very badly dubbed, and as you say, four-by-three crops, and then half the time you can't even see the the action on, on the screen because it's been cropped so badly. So the, this this is something that you're very keen on, isn't it? Is to try and not only, you know, talk to these guys and bring them uh, to, you know, back to attention, but also to, you know, really restore these movies and show them the respect that they deserve. Well, no, you're exactly right. In yeah. fact, it, it was kind of by accident that this, uh, you know, I, I stumbled on this sort of what's going on with these films there because what happened is, you know, following up to do this, documentary and you start asking for prints and seeing what you know they have available for us because one of the other sort of side extensions of this and i know there's a lot i'm talking about a lot of things but is is doing some blu-ray releases of these films we're going to put out some special editions of some of these films but we want to do it properly we want to get a print we want to try and best find the best print we can and 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 do a 2k scan of it well when we got out there we realized that many of these films that were made in the 70s and early 80s they never thought we're going to go anywhere. I mean, this is prior to to Blu-ray and DVD, and and really at the onset of video at that point. I mean, mm-hmm. and uh, that was just barely starting, and so they thought they were going to take these films, and and they told, and specifically Lee Sonam and um, Godfrey Ho told told me that you know they just thought they were going to send a couple prints to the U.S. and to Germany, et cetera, et cetera, and it was done. You know, and that was yeah. it. They, but the the uh, the fact is, so that these films were. Uh, being like left and rotting away in studios and in and some of the film archives, etc. Now, luckily, one of the things that's kind of come in to help us is that, and even though at the time it was illegal to do so, is film collectors. There are people that manage to get a hold of some of these 35 millimeter prints and hang on to them. Um, luckily, and take care of some of them. So we've been, I mean, this has been a, uh, like Raiders of the Lost Ark trying to find so. these lost films. Yeah, because the, the thing is, we're not just trying to do this, you know, like grab a film and then release it. We're getting the rights, and we yeah. have to find a correct print. So we would, some cases, we'd find these great prints of these films, but we couldn't find the rights to them. In other cases, we'd find the rights, but they go, we don't have the prints, so then we'd have to go out and search out uh, film collectors. And so you're right. In the end, to answer your question, one of the big things that I have discovered in writing about this this genre and, and meeting these people with, within the uh, the filmmaking industry with the Hong Kong film and the Taiwan film industry is that you know preserving these films is actually you know an important part of our you know history with this stuff. Sure. You know, uh, again, you know, it's preserving what the director did. For instance, having the t- chance to talk to Lee So Nam and talk about the films that he shot, um, you know, seeing the fact that they're getting, you know, lost. My superior kung fu will finish you off. With Lee Sonam, for instance, was he very much like, you know, I was there to make some money? Was he proud that you were, you were doing this? Because it's his legacy at the end of the day, isn't it? Well, interestingly with him, first off, in regards to like the, <clears throat> the money thing, the Edge of Fury was kind of interesting because... When I first got there, we we interviewed Karada, who plays one of the bad guys in the film, and um, 
he actually didn't remember the film. Like, and this is this wasn't all that uncommon because some of these guys would literally roll over from film to film and shoot three or four at the same time. Sure. And so there were cases where we'd say, "Hey, you were in this," and they go, "I was. What is this?" <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> well, Godfrey and, and that, Godfrey Ho is a great example of someone who you know he literally would stitch his films together, wouldn't he, from just various well, kind of bits he, of film he, stock. Yeah, he would, but surprisingly, Godfrey is pretty cognizant of everything he did. Like he's sure. not he he um you know I spent actually a fair amount of time with Godfrey, and we still we still talk. He uh he was he's pretty aware of what he did and how it was done, and so he wasn't like it wasn't so much a sea of this massive film that he just sort of forgot about, you know. Sure. Um, but with Lee So Nam, there was particularly you know with him, you could tell that he was at a place in his life that. These films, maybe at the time, some of them were things that he just kind of, you know, didn't really think much of. But today, you can see that he's very much interested. He still works today. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I actually just had a conversation um, just a couple weeks ago with him about uh, writing a book about his life. So wow. we're, you know, which is something that, to be honest with you, you know, I, I came out to L.A. to be a, an actor and a director, and I've, and so this sort of nerdy thing that i did as a child and grew up on with these films which by you know i mean i mean really the truth as it is that i'm interested in making films because of these kung fu movies as a you know nine ten year old i saw sure. but um so now i've got this sort of sideline thing where i'm getting a chance to work and talk with these people and i'm kind of getting into this <laughs> it's kind writing. of a dream come true yeah. kind of thing yeah, I mean, it's it's like I'm overloading myself with work, but at the same time, I actually love it, and it's it's like okay, a bucket list. I'll write a couple books, you know, what yeah. what the hell, you know. It's, so, but anyways, I mean, back to your question. So yes, Lee Sonam has gotten to this place where he um, would love to see these films restored and like to to participate in any way he can. And I'll tell you, it's kind of funny because. He was very, you know, the hot, cool, and the vicious is definitely one you can tell he's proud of. You know, yeah, I mean, it's something yeah. that he actually, in fact, we, when we met with him, uh, Don Wong was out there with us, you know, who plays the cool and the hot, the cool, and the yeah, vicious. Yeah. He's with Lisa. So we got to hang out with the, the both of them one evening and go out to dinner with them. And it was great. Awesome. Is there still people that escaped you that you, you wanted to get hold of that, um, that, that you couldn't get hold of? Yeah, I mean, we've got a, you know, there's a good... I would say, luckily, we got the majority of, I thought, the really important ones, yeah. but um, there's probably about three or four people that, I mean, that are still alive that we really would have uh, wanted to get, and a couple of them we may still do. For instance, um, you know, Bolo's here in Los Angeles, and I'm trying to I'm trying to get him down for an interview, Yeah, just because he did so many of them. So and he, many. He cheated loads, didn't he? Oh man! Not yeah. like, well. The other the other important part is is that part of this documentary. It's not just about like let's let's make fun of these movies. It's it's also pointing out and noting the change and the shift that took place in the industry when Bruce Lee showed up. You know, yeah. he showed up and did something and then passed away, and then there was this sort of like everybody was caught off guard and this sort of vacuum that they started to fill. Now, granted, I mean, they're trying to fill it for financial reasons for the producers, but you had these filmmakers that, on the other hand. We're like, you know, we want to, whether it's interpreting Bruce Lee or try and, and uh, uh, replicate or in some sort of artistic way, uh, you know, follow him up. Um, that, that's what's kind of interesting to me is that, you know, we, we clearly know when you look at the clones of Bruce Lee. You go, here's a bunch of producers that came up with this great idea to put three you know, Bruce Lee clones together in a movie yeah, and have yeah. them fight. 
But you're still going to get people that within that framework of these movies are trying to do something, you know, creative. Something original. It may not be the producers. It may not be the producers. It may be the fight choreographers or the actors or what have you. But um, so anyway, that's that's kind of where this this documentary came up. So we're trying to find particularly actors that were there at the beginning, middle and end of that period. And so that's why we went to like David Chang, uh, Lo Meng, who also actually did Soul Brothers of Kung Fu with Bruce Lai. Um, What was the uh, David what was the David Chang connection there then? Did he because obviously, you know, brilliant Shaw Brothers uh, contract player for so many years. Did he? What What were the Bruce exploitation uh, stuff that he that he went into? Well, da- David again was there more for context. Like yeah. like I said, this 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 documentary as well as my book is is not just about saying, well, here's a Bruce exploitation movie. It's about saying why they were made. Sure. What was the the motivation but behind doing many of these films, and what, what was the context of the times? You know, yeah. for David, you know, he you know he met Bruce Lee a few times, and he worked for the Shaw Brothers. So so much who were at one point trying to get you know bruce to do movies with them so he was very aware of what it was like before during and after that period too so that's kind of why we went to him and plus you know he's like royalty he's like the sean connery of yeah. <laughs> you know kung fu movies and and, um, and a nice guy is he a nice guy very 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 yeah. nice guy he was one of those guys that really stood out as a real gentleman you know he dressed up for the interview and sure. he came up you know there's a couple of guys that come in you'll you'll notice their dress they're like showing up in pajamas or yeah. whatever you know <laughs> i mean so i mean lo, lo mang was like that he was great i mean i loved work but it was so funny that the 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 difference the contrast between those two guys yeah. <laughs> showing up you know King of Kung Fu, an undisputed master of the martial arts, was buried, but not before making a deal with the Black Angel of Death. Now, his tormented soul returns as Bruce Lee fights back from the grave. Damn you! If people don't know what the Bruce Boitation films are, uh, could you give a sort of basic kind of overview as to you know how this subgenre came about, and then it's kind of it's a weird thing, isn't it? Because it's kind of got a whole following all of its own. Well, yeah, I mean, really, it obviously came about when I mean, you know, clearly when Bruce Lee had showed up on the scene and started to draw a lot of attention to himself, and 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 make a lot of money and and he um the first i always kind of look at the first bruce exploitation film as being fist of unicorn which was sure. when bruce lee was still alive you know he went in he did some um you know work behind the scenes for his friend unicorn shot some you know helped him uh, rather choreograph some of the fight scenes and then of course they filmed some of this behind the scenes stuff and then when the film came out they're sticking it on you know on the posters or sticking it in the movie you know yeah. so it was that was sort of in my mind the first bruce exploitation film ever made you yeah. know because that was his childhood friend as well wasn't it who sort of stitched him up in a in a way didn't he or or sure. i don't know or maybe or maybe there's another side to that story where you know maybe unicorn didn't know about it and it was the producers that were secret doing this filming but either way i think it did it caused friction didn't it that when that's when that did happen no absolutely it did and i i, th- I think you're right though we don't know a hundred percent how much he was aware or not aware yeah. of it but it, it did cause a problem because mm-hmm. you know i think bruce probably held him sort of responsible in some way and keeping that together yeah um and i don't know how badly the friendship ended i you know we t- we talked to a few people about it and most people were just kind of guessing but but um, i guess that shows you know that anything 
you know, in the early 70s there that could potentially have Bruce Lee's name on something, you know, was worth its weight in gold, wasn't it? Absolutely. And that and that's kind of how the whole thing sort of started. And it, um, you know, of course, obviously, like most of these exploitation films, when they first began, they weren't called Bruce exploitation. They were just these Bruce Lee like movies or Bruce Lee ripoff movies. And yeah. and, you know, it's it's for me, it's always interesting in hindsight to look back because I'm probably the first person to start collecting these <laughs> things on these movies, because as a kid, I would actually go to the theater and asked, I, knew, I knew the manager of a couple of theaters in um, the Bay Area, and they would give me the posters after the run of the movie. And I would also get, I have a, a whole photo album of newspaper clippings for when the movies would, would come out. Cool. So I've been so kind what of following. Year, what, what year is this then, Michael? What sort of, what sort of time are we, are we talking? Is this in the, in the 70s? Late 70s, early yeah. 80s, yeah. So it was, it was, I mean, the films were already out, but they weren't hitting the stateside till years later anyway, sure. you know. So I don't, I don't actually think the, the real explosion of Bruce Boytation films happened until about 75, 76. Sure. I mean, there were some, a couple of, I mean, during Bruce Lee's life even, you know, there was in, um, the box office here in the, uh, for like, you know, box offices were done differently. It wasn't so much like, Back in those days, you'd release a theater in New York for a week, then it would hit L.A. a week later, and then it would, you know, that's the way they used to do it. But the kung fu films were actually doing really, really well between, like, 72 and 73, and you had, you know, some of these Shaw Brother films being done. So there was, I mean, there was a, when when Bruce Lee passed away, and even prior to that, there were, they did release a couple of these films with sort of connections to Fists of Fury and or the big boss, you know, to yeah. kind of give it a little extra punch, you know, because yeah. his films were doing uh, as better than most of those yeah. Kung Fu films at the time. So so that's that's interesting. So as a kid, you remember in the 70s, you were watching these Bruce exploitation films. But were you were you conscious that it wasn't Bruce Lee that you were watching or were you did, were you yeah, hood, that's, hoodwinked that's, or anything? That's a good point. And one of the reasons I wanted to write the one of the elements of writing the book was how and why we would go to these films and be attracted to these films even after we realized that Bruce Lee wasn't really in them. And there's a yeah. number of reasons for this. I The first film that I ever saw that was a Bruce Bloitation film was, was, called, was really, it's called Bruce's Fingers. That was the uh, the original. Sure. It came to the, the States as The Young Dragon. Now, the poster for The Young Dragon has a big, has a big um, you know, text written at the top of the poster. It says, Bruce's first film at the age of 18. Now, it doesn't say which Bruce. It just says Bruce, right? Yeah. And on the front, you have Bruce Lee, and he's got the sunglasses on. He looks like him, and then it has... And featuring Bruce Lee's co-stars from Enter the Dragon, it has Yang C's, it has you know, Low Lee on the front. So it was it pulled me right in, thinking, oh wow, this is an early Bruce Lee film, you know. And then within you know five ten minutes, I was like, what the, what the hell? Is this? <laughs> you know. And and at first I was you know bummed out, and I was watching sitting here watching the film. But by the end of the film, I remember leaving the theater, and I was like all kind of jacked up, and like he was, he was you know thinking I'm gonna go to work out a little bit, and you sure. know I was at the age where I was like fighting in the karate tournaments because I started doing that when I was nine years old, sure. and um, and so uh, I started to even there was two things that started luring me back into the theater to see these films, and number one was the hopes that there was some Bruce Lee footage in these yeah. films or. Yeah. Or uh, or on a sort of secondary tier, there was the idea of seeing some of these actors I, I loved in Enter the Dragon or Fist of Fury and getting this chance to see them again. Yeah. The, the other part of it was is more psychological, and I write a lot about this in the book, which is 
many of us who were big fans of Bruce Lee, and I was one of them, you know, it want to go to these films, not even though we know Bruce Lee isn't in them, we want to go see what he may have done had he done more films. You know, sure. like Bruce Lee in, in, in New Guinea, you know, the film with Bruce Lee. It's like, what if that, Bruce Lee did an Indiana Jones movie? Yeah, you know, that's a ludicrous if, film, but it's quite enjoyable, that one, isn't it? Right, but I'm just I'm saying on a, on a level, we yeah. that, especially the Bruce Lee fans, on a level, you're going, uh, yeah, you know what? I wonder what would happen if Bruce Lee had played a gangster or Bruce Lee had... Um, you know, followed up, uh, you know, uh, game of death with the, the tower of death or, we, you know, whatever it is. And so that I think there was another reason we would go to these films, even though we knew we were being duped, even though you could look at the poster, go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bruce is in this right. Mm-hmm. You know, you still would go because it's it's like the comic book things, you know, the Hulk versus Thor, you know, Bill Louie versus Bruce Lee. You know, I mean, this is was the kind of conjectures these films would offer us yeah. as kids or adults to come see them. And they started gathering their own sort of cult following. Were you going to these films knowing, oh, well, this is the new Bruce Lai movie. This is Dragon Lee's in this one. And were they were those guys starting to get a name? Do you remember that, Michael, growing up or or, or did that come a bit later? No, it it did, actually. I mean, they, I mean, at this point, there was a point, believe it or not, where Bruce Lai was more well-known than Jackie Chan. Sure. At least in America. I mean, I don't know about, you know, obviously in Hong Kong, but he, because his films started to get a lot of play on TV, like Channel 5, Channel 2, Showtime, HBO. They would all show Bruce Lee's Deadly Kung Fu, Bruce Lee the Man, the Myth. So his films were getting a fair amount of airplay. And this was prior to, you know, uh, Jackie Chan doing, you know, Drunken Master or right, sure. you know, it was right around that time. But it was like his films just hadn't clicked on over here. Sure. Um, so on a, on a level of um, just sort of the kung fu movie fans. Yeah, absolutely. They would. These guys, these guys were starting to get get names now sometimes it was interchangeable you go i think it's a bruce lay movie or dragon lee movie playing you know you wouldn't really know until you could read it on the credits i'm right in thinking bruce lay he's the first guy that you know these the producers in hong kong were like okay so bruce lee has died there's no more bruce lee films but we're on to something here if we can you know uh get a guy that looks vaguely like bruce lee and we can train him to do the moves to look like Bruce Lee. He was the first one that they sort of talent spotted, I guess, and said, well, we're going to sign you up. We're going to get you to do these uh, Bruce exploitation films. Is that, well, is that how that happened? I'd say Bruce Lee and Bruce Lai were very timed in a very similar sort of place. Sure. But the, 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 the thing with Bruce Lai was he actually did in the very beginning a series of sort of Bruce Lee biopics, you know, they were like, obviously we're using this word loosely here because, you know, most of the films were complete fabrications, but you know, he did three or four or five of these in the first five or six years. Uh, actually probably even a little more than that. And he, um, so that as a result of that, I think he was getting much more airplay. Now, Bruce Lee, for instance, had been a stunt player at Shaw Brothers for a while before Bruce Lee really even did a, uh, had done a film. I mean, both of them were kind of stunt men and, in, in less, uh, Bruce Lai was just working in sort of lesser films, but Bruce Lee came along, and he, uh, you know, was like an inframan, and you can watch some of these um, Wong, uh, Wong Fei Hung films that he's in, uh, like um, Rivals of Kung Fu, sure. um, and then they did um, the I forget his name, the assistant director on The Big Boss. 
came along and got the offer to direct The Big Boss Part 2 with Lo Lee. And they needed to open the film up with Bruce Lee's character being in jail and sort of sending Lo Lee off on his adventure. And so they used Bruce Lee in that scene, and he opens up the film. So it's kind of his first time as a Bruce Lee character. Sure. Um, And from there, after that, he went on and did Bruce's Fingers, the one we just talked about. And so, but it was timed with Bruce Lai. But I would say you're right that Bruce Lai, um, his sort of hitting the West and international markets was a lot stronger than anybody else. And it was the earliest. Bruce Lee, The Man, The Myth is probably his most famous, most popular film. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I would say. Which is one of the better Bruce Loitation films. Would Would you agree with that? I think it I think it is for a couple of reasons. I think the reason people like it so much is there is a certain certain amount of integrity it has to it where um and what I mean by that is not that it's necessarily following, you know, <laughs> a verbatim life of Bruce Lee because it particularly at that time you got a lot of people didn't really know what really happened. It was everything was being written off of legend or rumor, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. you know, today you can kind of document much of what Bruce Lee did and if you wanted to do a, a much more accurate um, t- retelling of his life. But I think that film got a lot of um uh, like credit was because it did take some time to really try and uh, push and teach and show what Bruce Lee was doing in his life. You know, there's a great scene in there where he's teaching a class um, of students somewhere. I think it's when he's in Los Angeles or wherever they're representing it. Sure. And, you know, he's doing the whole thing where he throws the watch and the guy jumps up and grabs the watch and goes, there, that's directness rather than, you know, talking about like fairly classical versus. Um, more modern styles of fighting, which you got to keep in mind too. For some of these filmmakers, it was a little sacrilegious, you know, to sit here and yeah. say, because you'll have some of these Bruce Lee docu- uh, docudramas, bios, whatever you want to call them, where they really represent Bruce Lee doing things that he just, you can, today in hindsight, you clearly know he wouldn't do, like his traditional training or that he learned from some guy up on a mountaintop or, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Where Bruce Lee, the man, the myth, I think, paid in many cases uh pretty um close attention to his beginnings in wing chun as a matter of fact wing chun uh, i mean the, the opening scene where he's doing a wing chun um uh, form on a dummy Ip man's son plays Ip man in the in the opening of the film yeah you know um they they actually went and shot in rome and they actually went and shot in seattle they actually took you know so they put some effort into making that film a better film yeah so i think that's yeah. why it How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bruce Lye, starring in Bruce Lee, The Man, The Myth. Bruce Lye was his friend in life. Bruce Lye was his understudy in the movies. Bruce Lye was his student in the martial arts. Every move, every kick and hit reminds you of his master. Based on the life and times of the most incredible human fighting machine the world has ever known. Bruce Lee, the man, the myth. What is the reputation of these films within Hong Kong and Taiwan? Is it seen as a bit of a sour spot in the sort of history of uh, Hong Kong uh, filmmaking and martial arts movies? Or because um, because let's I mean let's be honest, it wasn't this wasn't just for a couple of years. They were making exploitation films for you know into the late 70s oh in the early 80s yeah you yeah. And, and in fact into the early 80s and again in the, in the book that i'm finishing up right now we i try to like point this out when jackie chan started to get popular they started combining the genres you yeah. started to watch the bruceploitation <laughs> actors starting to start like for instance dragon lee did a number of films in Korea, where he was playing this sort of pseudo Bruce Lee, Jackie Chan guy, you know, mm. where he was mixing in that crazy comedy and, and this, sure. all the animal styles with his Bruce Lee stuff, you know, mm. so. But um, even Jackie, because Jackie Chan's an interesting one where they were trying to uh, force him to be a sort of, you know, next Bruce Lee. And he did New Fist of Fury and his some of his films with Low Way were very serious. And he was trying to they were trying to get Jackie into that kind of mold as well, weren't they? When he started well, yeah, and, and even we spoke with Andre Morgan, who was yeah. around when Bruce Lee popped up and he was doing the, the big brawl and he was telling us uh you know, he was saying that even on the big brawl when he came here to the United States, it's like he goes. He, apparently, Jackie went to Andre and said, "Andre, you gotta, you gotta tell you know Klaus and these guys. They're like telling me to be so serious and so intense." He goes, "That's not, I don't think that's what I do well." You know, yeah. and and yeah. so you even watch when you watch that film, he's still sort of they're trying to pigeon him into the Bruce Lee thing a little bit. You know, so is that Michael where there's a sort of changing of the guard? Where you know, is it is is that the catalyst for sort of the death of the Bruce exploitation films when you know they had to go down a route where it was the complete opposite really of what what they were what they were doing and in that that was led by jackie chan and the comedy kung fu comedy stuff well you know i always i always think what sort of sets a new trend is the big risk takers it always happens you know what i mean like you don't you don't get anywhere by trying to second guess something or build or imitate something it just never works you know what what always becomes the new hot thing is the person that went out on a limb and did something totally different and so you're right it was in that period where the comedy of Jackie Chan came up that I think started to, sh- you know, shift all of that. Now, granted, during the Bruce Boy Tate, we don't want to 
uh, romanticize it too much. I mean, during that period where the Bruce Bluetation films were being made, there were plenty of Kung Fu films still being made. They were always yeah. made before that and they were made after that. But yeah. but that particular subgenre of films did start going, well, you know, we're not selling it quite like we used to. We can't really convince people that Bruce Lee's in this anymore. You know, now it's six, seven, eight years later. You know, for a while, up until they released Game of Death, they had that to use. You know, you had all these Game of Death ripoff films yeah. that they were always hoping you were going to come in. For instance, um, the new Game of Death, uh, or Goodbye Bruce Lee, his last Game of Death. <laughs> See, I get him confused. Yeah. Uh, the one that Bruce Lai did. It was That's an right. earlier film. The trailer, I, and I remember seeing this as a kid in, in the theaters, the trailer actually would all of a sudden have an interview with, with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. They just stuck in an interview with him because they wanted you to think this was going to be the real game of death coming so, up. You know? so. So, but anyway, so the, your question was about the, the, the shifting, and I think, that, I think Jackie's sort of style played a big part of that. And yeah. so you do have this moment in Bruceploitation where you have films like Bruce and Jackie to the rescue or or you know um, a couple other uh, like Golden Dragon, Silver Snake, where you have a Bruce Lee imitator and a Jackie Chan imitator yeah. in the same movie. When Bruce Lee came along and there was no one before or since that was anything like him, this whole genre is sort of a way of them sort of dealing with the profound sort of impact of that. It seems that you know in Hong Kong they were they were just trying to you know keep that going because they there wasn't really any anything else out there is that fair to say or do you think that's a bit dismissive of the genre you have the producers that clearly are just looking for what a way to make some money sure but you also have these artists and you know samuel hung is a great uh, example of one of them who who really really respected and loved you know loved bruce lee and he you know so when you see his work now granted Enter the Fat Dragon is this, you know is considered Bruce exploitation on one hand, but it's a, you know it's a satirical sort of take on yeah. Bruce Lee, but it's been it's been, it was done with such care and 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 thought on his part, and I think there is a level of that in other performers and other um, artists that we talked to. I mean, today, you know, even just last year when we were doing the documentary, you still hear the way people talk about Bruce Lee. I mean, it's not like his. His impact for the people that were around that genre has diminished. It's still there. Yeah. Um, granted, you know we're you know forty some years later, and and so it's not like you could just you know put out a, a Bruce Lee film today and expect it to make a lot of money. Um, but uh, I think at that time you had actors, you had filmmakers that were doing exactly what you said, which were going through these sort of like. Uh, shock and grief, almost like you know, like the with stages of grief, as they call it, where you're going through this process film uh, with filming, where you're representing what happened. Like, I, I mean, just a quick example: if you look at the first groups of films that came out, the first, uh, you know, like say for the first three or four years, there's a lot of heavy dealing with Bruce Lee's death. You know, yeah. exit the dragon, enter the tiger. Let's avenge his death. Bruce Lee's ghost comes back and helps. You know, Bruce Lee to solve his death. You know, I mean, there was a lot of that going on in the first few years. Then after that, it just sort of transitioned where there's a lot more sequels to Fists of Fury or whatever it might have been, you know. And, and let's, you know, so you could you, you could honestly see this sort of like shock and anger and let's get these guys that did this. You know, I mean, obviously it's, it's a drama and they want to, you know, somebody killed Bruce Lee according to the films. Yeah. Uh, but later it would just progress to, to, to other things. 
and you notice a trend. I think that's a good point with the the man, the myth, in that they were researched. They actually shot them on location, and they tried their best. Or even though obviously it's a movie, but they're trying to, you know, show some sympathy and respect. But then you're right. I think as the years go on, you start to notice that they become a little bit more crass, don't they? And the imitations. And um, I mean, Dragon Lee is someone who. I love Dragon Lee's films, don't get me wrong. But there's not there's not really much... He doesn't look very much like uh, Bruce Lee, uh, but he's doing... You know, he, he's got all the mannerisms there, and it sort of became more of, you know, just assuming the mannerisms. Well, yeah, yeah. and I think... And again, which is an interesting point, because, you know, that was one of the, the, the... Which is so ironic about this whole thing, is that was a big criteria with Bruce Lee himself, you know, where he would talk a lot about you know, setting yourself free and, and making the individual the yes. important thing and not the style. Yeah. So that's what's so ironic about all of this. Yeah. But Dragon Lee, for instance, as a kid was my favorite. I just loved this guy. And I agree, he didn't necessarily look like Bruce Lee, yeah. but he just was so over the top. He was so crazy. He was so yeah. intense. You know, like just the smallest gesture from him looked like he was having an embolism while he would do it. Yeah. And the funny thing is when I met him, I was almost like intimidated. And that guy is so nice and yeah. so cool and so friendly i mean i sure. couldn't even tell you um but he um but you're right it, it, there was this level and there's these there's you know you have those three you've got bruce lie bruce lay and dragon lee but there are a series of of guys that came along particularly like bruce lang who did a few of them yeah uh, Br- bruce lung is you know he's also known but he's but there are other people that popped in for one or two movies and then disappeared you know there's a guy named tong lung who who's in a, some ways similar to, to Dragon Lee's insanity of performance, you know, yeah. where he's just like so over the top. And he did, he did really the only sequel to Way of the Dragon called The Growling Tiger, where he plays Tang Lung's cousin from Way of the Dragon and all these people sure. are trying to hunt him down. And he's another example of this guy that would just, it was, there was nothing about him that you would even say is Bruce Lee-like, except <laughs> that he was just imitating the hell out of him, you know, yeah. through the whole film. At the time of his death, Bruce Lee was working on this film project. Soon it will be at this theater, a living memorial to this great fighter and kung fu superstar. Don't miss Goodbye Bruce Lee, his last game of death. An hour and a half of gripping adventure coming soon to this theater. For Goodbye Bruce Lee, there was some legal precedent set here where, you know, they the distributors of that film did get in trouble for, you know, marketing it as a Bruce Lee film. Well, um, you know, it, there... I actually have, uh, in, in somewhere I have the... Um the documents from that the court documents or some of the paper wow. the legal paperwork i think it it actually was one of the very first i don't know if it was dragon dies heart it was one of the very first bruce lie films where he was portraying bruce lee but it wasn't about it being pushed as a bruce lee film the the legal um issue with it was the representation of his family like in other sure. words they had to be very careful about how they do the family in these films because they're not the public figures. It's Bruce yeah. Lee's the public figure. They can kind of like there's some legal license with that, but you know. But, but was there ever any legal? I mean, did the Lee family ever press? I mean, you know, they're using case, his name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm in just that, wondering. In that case, it was. Yeah, because you think that the family would have something to say with regards to I don't know owning the the image and the name of Bruce Lee, but I guess just that was the only well, case where that came. No, about. you're right, and, and there is an element of that, and that and it's very and and I'm still kind of researching sort of what was allowed and what wasn't, yeah. but excuse me, but but you can find 
you know, a lot of these films, they're, they're um, like, for instance, Bruce Lee's Deadly Kung Fu. There's a version of it where when he's suddenly uh, kind of – it's such a weird film, Bruce Lee's Deadly Kung Fu, because it's, it's you know, about Bruce Lee, but his name's Bob in the movie. Yeah. So they can kind of clear that up. You know, he's clearly – it's about him bringing Wing Chong, and he meets, you know, Wong Jock Man, who's Carter Wong in the film, and they be, and then they become friends, and then they take on the, the white guys, you know, that kind of thing. But there's a moment where he's discovering Jeet Kune Do and his training, and it just cuts to all these, like, random sh- pictures of Bruce Lee, you know? <laughs> it's just like and, – and so I think sometimes the filmmakers would try to get around, you know, whatever they could by just the most bizarre means of yeah. – and I think it was, like you said, you know, you couldn't just the funeral footage of Bruce Lee and I believe um, this press conference, what he was doing for Fist of Unicorn were two pieces of fairly, I think, public domain footage, like nobody had a rights to them. So they show up in a lot of these films. Yeah, it's films. outrageous. They show up in the actual game of death, don't they? The, the Robert yep. Klaus version. Um, which is a, I mean, it's a strange thing, isn't it? When you see that, that footage being used in, in that sort of context, because there's no other actor in the history of, uh, movie making where this sort of thing exists, does it? I may, I may stand corrected. Like there isn't, there isn't a subgenre of James Dean films. You're right. This is pretty unique in that regard. I mean, granted had Clint Eastwood done the good, the bad and the ugly and then passed away, there probably would have been a lot of Clint Westwood sure. movies. Yeah. And in some cases <laughs> there are spaghetti Westerns that do do that, you know, the Clint, the stranger or Clint, the this or Clint. So yeah. there is an element of it there, but you're right. This is, fairly um unique in 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 that regard game of death did use that footage and that footage gets like i said shows up in a a lot of these movies but game of death in many ways is kind of an interesting animal because on the one hand it's still counted as a bruce lee film but you also can kind of look at it as one of the biggest budgeted bruce exploitation films ever made you know this is 78 now so he died for about five years in hong kong there have been five years of these um, Bruce exploitation films without anything really new coming up. Jackie Chan wasn't yet on the horizon. Uh, right. Game of Death comes out, and you're right. This sort of starts the whole thing over again, doesn't it? Really? Yeah, it did because it made a lot of money. Um, yeah. It did, you know, kind of kind of shut down all the Game of Death ripoff films, like the True Game of Death and Enter the Game of Death, and all these films that were like trying to get you to think, oh, here's the Game of Death finally. Sure. But it did it did revitalize Bruce Lee in a, in a number of ways financially because it that that film did prove to be a big success. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll say this though I think the sequel (laughs) Tower of Death or Game of Death 2 is the superior film (laughs) well yeah you know what and it's funny I you know we we, Roy Horan sat down with us and we had a good long talk with him about about that film and and um, it's funny because I guess they were sort of pulled into doing that film uh, N.C. Yoon, who directed it, with sort of the idea that that uh, Golden Harvest said, look, we got a ton of Bruce Lee footage like we did with Game of Death, and we want to do a new movie. So he kind of got pulled into thinking there was going to be all this new footage. Sure. And they were basically- there, there, is some, there is some new footage. I mean, there's footage in that that I've certainly never seen before. There's, there's outtakes from Enter the Dragon in there for some and reason. That, where that's the hell that came was- from. 
Absolutely, and that's what I was going to kind of lead up to. Well, and first off, that's what what's strange about the movie. The movie is really more of a sequel to Enter the Dragon than it is sure. Game of Death. You know, you have a Korean version, you have this the Asian sort of Hong Kong version, and you have the U.S. version. And if you watch them, you'll see they're all very, very, very different. Mm-hmm. And part of it is the legal footage I think that's that's used, but even in the structure of the story, it's different. And in fact, I find that this is the one film that's had the most versions of it in this in this genre that I noticed. The 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 Hong Kong version of it will have those Enter the Dragon outtakes, but when it gets over into the states and you have it as Game of Death two, the footage that's in it is now been replaced with clips from Way of the Dragon and the Big Boss and Fist of Fury, and I think that had to do with Warner Brothers not having something being released in the United States with footage from their movie. Wow! Wow! Um, I didn't know that. So the version that I've seen has got, um, yeah, it's got that Enter the Dragon footage in there, which is bizarre because as far as I'm aware, you know, there's always, you know, everyone's just aching to see new Bruce Lee footage. Yeah. Uh, and then suddenly there's this stuff in that movie and it's it's strange, isn't it? <laughs> like, Where the hell did that come from? Um, right. Well, actually, if you watch just the first 20 minutes of the film if you get both versions you'll see the majority of the differences because sure. the, the, the bruce lee character in the story you know that's supposed to be bruce lee he's only alive in it for the first you know 20 minutes or that's so that's right he so falls, off, falls off the uh, helicopter or something that's right yeah. <laughs> falls off the helicopter well but that's where you'll see the most you know like casanova wong's in one of the versions yeah. of them you know so you have yeah. these uh, it's it's very interesting the editing and even in the the Korean version you have this whole sequence where where um, Tong Lung or Kim Tai Jong shows up in an airport dressed in the exact suit that Bruce Lee was wearing in Enter the Dragon shows up at an airport gets out of it and you you kind of could tell that they were probably had other footage of Bruce Lee in that suit that they wanted to use and tie into it so it's an interesting that story behind that movie because you can so, tell there was probably a lot of stuff that did end up in it and didn't end up in it and got taken out and so yeah. The respected and loved Chinese superstar Bruce Lee has just died. Starring Dragon Lee, Bruce Lee, and Bruce Lai. The Clones of Bruce Lee brings a new dimension to martial arts films. Scientists and police made a momentous decision. They would create the Clones of Bruce Lee. These identical specimens of the late Bruce Lee are trained in all the martial arts through scientific techniques. The continuing fascination with Bruce Lee's story and his philosophy, his martial arts, still does crop up. And that's an in- uh, No Retreat, No Surrender is a good example of that one, isn't it? As a sort of mid-80s, obviously... That's it's famous for being Van Damme's first uh, sort of action role, but um, that in itself is is very much a Bruce exploitation film as well, isn't it? Yeah, and in, and that one's kind of unique in that it was you know a kind of a U.S. you know uh, Hong Kong, yeah, 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 crossover. So it was. Um, you know, it just it wasn't just but they but even up to that point, they were still making them in Hong Kong. You know, you yeah. still had um, you still had these. Uh, films that were being made with uh, Dragon Lee and, and Bruce Lai that were going well into the, the mid-80s. And it's funny because there's even some later, there's a couple that were made in the late 80s that Bruce Lai did that where you even start to see the the use of uh, video starts coming into the films because they were getting cheaper and cheaper, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 
And the truth is, you know, uh, you, it comes out in the documentary. You'll get some interesting um, stuff on this. Bruce Lai had told us that he was actually at one point doing these movies forced. Uh, they stuck a knife at, into his throat and said he had to do a couple of movies. I mean, he was wow. like literally the gangsters were were pushing him into doing these things. So wow. I think that that guy's like one of the most happily retired guys you've ever yeah. met. <laughs> He's like um, done. Bruce Lai is an interesting one because I know I've read a bit about him and I've seen interviews with him in the past where he seems like he's, uh, you know, not not so proud of the work that he has done. Is that fair to say you've met the guy you've sat and spoken to him? Was that your take home from from your conversations with him or has, has he made peace with it now? Well, he seems uh, it's really interesting because one thing that was clear to me about him is that he really respects bruce lee yeah. i actually got uh, caught on camera while i was there and i, I don't know if it's gonna end up in the documentary or not I, it may just be something i just use later but he actually started to talk to me about bruce lee's jeet kune do and the kicking of it and how it compares to taekwondo you can tell he's actually done some studying and 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 has a real like passion for what um you know what Bruce Lee was trying to do, sure. and to this day, he still what he does is he teaches adults and kids martial arts in a park in Taiwan. You know, I mean really? that's like what he loves to do. You know, I mean his his back's hurting him now a little bit. You know, he's like yeah. he's not quite, but he's he that's what he loves to do, and so he has a, a fond memory of doing these films. I think there's an element of of pride in some of his work. He's got a couple of projects, particularly like Fist of Fury 2 and Dynamo that he really likes. Yeah, they're good ones. Uh, yeah, and so, yeah. but, you know, I mean, there's a, you could tell there's a part of him that knows that he's just happy to be out of that business because I, I can tell that he's not looking back on it going like, oh, God, I wish I could have that again. You know, sure. I think both Dragon Lee and Bruce Lay are both sort of like, yeah, I'll work again. What do you got? You know, I yeah. mean, they're kind of, but I think Bruce lies. It's like, I'm done. I'm good. I'll be the guy on the hill with the big white beard that, you yeah. know, you, <laughs> you know. And I guess for these guys as well, I mean, I don't know whether maybe initially Bruce Lai maybe saw it as a stepping stone into the movie industry. And there are Bruce Lai films which aren't uh, Bruce exploitation films or they are sold as Bruce exploitation films, but they could easily be, you know, I've seen a couple of you know movies he did in the 70s where they're sort of straightforward crime kung fu movies so mm -hmm. um i wonder whether um he sort of felt that he was a bit straightjacketed in the sense that you know he was forced to play bruce lai and do the bruce lee thing but um rather than actually go on and, and sort of make a name for himself under his own name do do, do you get that sense yeah, no, no, he definitely had that yeah. about him for sure, and I think he, he's a great. He's a, such an interesting example because he was probably the one of the the group that you really felt like he just wanted to do his own thing. You know, yeah. he loved Bruce Lee, and he probably was fine with the first couple of movies he did, but it was sort of like at that point, I think it was like I don't want to do this, yeah. but you know, he was sort of pushed into it I, I, from from what I'm picking up now in many cases, um, and so. But yet he's probably the most well-known and the most famous and the most well-respected out of all of these these actors. Yeah. Um, he definitely takes a pride in his his fighting. Um, and I think as a filmmaker, you know, he only directed, um, I think, two films. Or one, or I know he did Fist of Bruce Lee, and, and that was pretty much it. But what's so interesting about him 
is his last film, which was um, Counterattack. You know, the one he did with uh, Inosanto, sure. the Chinese, Chinese stuntman, which is that was the other the other one he directed. He basically made it a swan song to himself. You know, it's all about this stuntman that comes in, feels he's being corrupted by the industry, and then walks away at the end. You know, and that was and that was it. He did one other, you know, or two, one or two other little films many years later, where he just kind of came in and like Dragon Force. Yeah. Um, but he. Um, but that was kind of the end of his his deal as Bruce Lai, yeah. and uh, I thought which I thought represented who he he felt he you know he was. Yeah, and did you get that sense with Dragon Lee as well, or is Dragon Lee is Dragon Lee's just keen to get? He, he's quite happily do the Bruce Lee uh, impersonations again, would he? Yeah, I think yeah. he. I think he would. I think his. And I'm just going to let you in a little something. I'm actually I have a film project. It's 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 a big action thing, and I'm going to. And if if it's all going, I'm bringing him out to do it. Awesome. So I'm, wow. I'm bringing him out. I already talked to him about it. He's all game for it. So uh, yeah. this, that's, but he, you know, and he's a little younger than the other guys, I think, too. Not that, you know, I think at this, you know, in this age, you know, you, you're in your 60s and you're like Liam Neeson and you're still beating the shit out of sure. people. So, yeah. um, you, you, um, but he, yeah, Dragon, Dragon still would love to work. He's actually, you know, still works in the industry out in Korea. So, you know, and, and Bruce Lee, I know he's, he's, he's still working on some projects right now. Wow. So there's wow. they're still pumping along. Yeah. Do you have a favorite if you were going to point someone in the direction of um you know a Bruce exploitation film that you think is best encapsulates the the genre uh there's there's hundreds I know but like what what one what would you suggest to them? Well, it's 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 a, it's a, a good question. It's a little bit of a tough question because it's it's some in so many ways there's uh, what represents the genre in some ways is its insanity, and I think yeah. the, the Clones of Bruce Lee is a perfect one for that. Yeah. Um, but so we also, should say the story. The story to that film is: don't they? They find it's, it's just before Bruce Lee dies. They find some DNA or something, and then they make a clone of Bruce Lee. And then there's like two or three versions of Bruce Lee in there or something. To, to yeah. Well, um, the, the movie yeah. actually it, it opens with Bruce Lee in the ambulance rushing to the hospital so it starts off with him dead you know and then of course in the film it says he died of a heart attack or something and yeah and and then they this mad scientist played by john ben john ben was in way of the dragon way of the dragon yeah yeah boss right so he plays the mad scientist who puts the daffy duck bugs bunny helmets on these bruce lee bodies and then animates them to life and they train them and they become these Bruce Lee clones and ultimately fight each other and then team up to go fight the doctor. Yeah. And but that that movie is so self-reflexive of the genre itself. It's a terrible movie. It's like the Plan 9 of outer space for kung fu movies, but it, it's it's um but it definitely gives you a flavor of how bad these films could get and how crazy they could get. Sure. Now you have we talked about, you know, Bruce Lee the man the myth which you know, it's a, a very good example of how the the films could almost be good. You know, yeah. uh, but but yet at the same time, time still um, do the the Bruce Lee thing. I think Fist of Fury Part Two is a really good one, and I think Dynamo is a really good example of of just a good Bruce Bloitation film. Again, the real Bruce Lee is another example with Dragon Lee because it was yeah. Seraphim Karalexi's buying a Dragon Lee film, editing it down to 60 minutes, sticking on Bruce Lee childhood movies at the beginning, showing yeah. a few Bruce Lee clips and and boom, having a movie. And it was a huge success, you know? This, the genre still exists in many ways. I mean, look at Birth of a Dragon. Um, right. There still seems to be an appetite for 
you know, this guy who died 40 years ago, yeah. uh, this stuff is still around, isn't it, Michael? Well, I, I think, I think, yeah, and it probably will be for a long time to come. Just, you know, there's certain people and it's, you know, you got to give them credit where it's due. You know, there's certain people that come along and just leave that imprint and they don't leave, you know, whether it's Monroe or Dean or whatever that represent something within the confines of this, you know, uh, genre or, you know, art or whatever, you know, I mean, you may, you may today go look at the UFC fighters and think, well, this guy would probably take Bruce out in two seconds or, you know, whatever your, your head is as a martial artist, but as a personality, he still reigns supreme, you know, he, where he was in his life at that time, uh, what he did, um, you know, so I, I think, you, yeah, I think today there's still an interest. I was actually interested in seeing that film. I did see with Shannon, who, you know, who I do know, and she's a really just a smart, smart lady, you know. Yeah. I think she, um, you know, she was indicating that there was problems with it. There probably was some bad problems with it, you know, because even Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, the one that Jason Scott Lee did, it still ventured off into all kinds of crazy territory, but they still yeah. supported it because it was still a, you know, we get that these films are never 100% accurate, but it was still a well-made film. So I can I, imagine. I, I, yeah, I quite liked, I, I think Dra uh, Dragon's actually not a bad, I mean, you look, yeah, it's, I like uh, it too. it's, I like it. Yeah. yeah, it's a pretty romanticized uh, version, but I, I think it's quite a nice, um, uh, it's a good introduction to bruce lee at least isn't it so, I, I agree um, yeah and, I, and i'm not and i'm not saying that because i worked on it a little bit but because <laughs> I, I was training with uh, jerry poteed and i knew jason scott lee and they were just starting the movie and so i was helping to um choreograph the the fight scene at the internationals when they were at the long beach internationals so we were we were doing that for a while but i mean i just meant as a, as a film i thought there was some effort in to make you know again it's a a drama with fiction and everything thrown in, but it was still like a fun, well-made movie. So, so let's let's bring up to to speed with what what you're what you're doing then. So you've got you've got a book on the horizon as well as the documentary. I actually I've been working on the you know because I have a uh, my separate life. I have a film career that I do that takes up most of my time. So this book was more of a fun thing for me. It was more of something that I just sort of kind of got roped into. And then once it got going, it just became its own, you know, brought to life sure. and became an animal. So I, it, it, it's pretty epic at this point. It's just because it's just been years and years of, of, of my childhood of learning about these, um, these films. And then now my experience having gone over there and, and met many of these people. So we're trying to time them all together. So we're, we're timing the documentary and the book to all come out towards the end of this year. And then we're, like I said, we'll be announcing once I know of a couple of the films we've already secured, but we'll be announcing, you know, half a dozen, uh, Bruce Ploitation special edition blu-rays to come out later too awesome oh, i look forward to that how do you think the, the documentary is going to go down i mean obviously you know you've got the investment there to go off and to, to film it so obviously there must be a lot of uh demand out there to 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 see this stuff there's enough interest out there then would you would you well say? i think i think what happened was you know i was doing a commentary on their tra their trailers of fury blu-ray they sure. did with and and once i got on there i had a conversation with the producers afterwards because i was kind of just brought in at the last minute for fun just to talk about the bruceploitation parts of them and they started asking me all these questions and they interviewed me and then they by but next thing i know they were calling me up saying listen we want you to help us produce this because we think there's something there and so i just started making some phone calls to people i knew in hong kong and i think i i told them i said look i i do think there's a market there for it and the reason i think that is because um, not only is there such a, a, a large fan base and just kung fu films, classic kung fu films anyways, no, nobody's really given these films much in the way of 
uh, understanding or respect. And sure. I don't mean respect like these films need to be respected because a lot of them are just like terrible movies. But I'm just saying respect in the sense that there are people that want to, you know, see the original aspect ratios, see it, you know, with the scale. You know, you know, scan to like a quality that you can actually see through the muck, you know? Yeah, and so, yeah. so we've, you know, we've, we've got a bunch of interviews now. We've got some really great trailers. We got some good supplement inf- um stuff and we're, you know, we're going to do some commentaries and, and put out some, you know, probably some pretty cool Blu-rays. Awesome. Awesome. So you're, you're acting still and you're writing scripts. So you're making movies. Yeah, that's my living. You know, I mean, sure. I, I this stuff was just, and I, I, I would have never thought in twenty years I would have touched this stuff, but over the last couple of years, it's kind of come up, and then I've just l- sort of let the inner nerd come out and just go yeah. with it because it's fun and I love it and I enjoy it. You know, and I, I see Tarantino doing it all the time. I'm like, ah, if he could do it, I could. Yeah. Do it. So, so he, um, in fact, he's somebody we're talking to about trying to get one of his film prints. Um, but yeah, he, does he have? Because he collects. Um, yeah, he uh, does. Film got, as well. He's yeah. got a couple rare films, man. He's got a couple good ones. So we're just really? hoping that we Bruce Plotation films. Yep, a couple of yeah. them. Yeah, he's got a few actually. Um, but uh, so yeah, my day job is is making movies. I just wrapped a couple. Um, I'm in post production on three films right now. As a matter of fact, awesome. I've got an MMA film coming out called The Butterfly Guard. So we've got, we've got a few things rolling out this year. Um, listen, best of luck with the, the documentary and the movies and everything. That's, that all sounds awesome. Thank you. And I'll keep, we'll stay in touch and I'll let you know when they're, uh, they're coming out and, I'll, cool. and when we get some special titles released, you know, like, and I know what they are, uh, I'll let you know. Okay, Michael. Well, we'll chat soon. All right, buddy. Take care. Michael Worth there. So good to talk to him. I really do hope you enjoyed that conversation. Um, so the Bruce Boitation Bible and the accompanying documentary, they should be out later in 2017. Um, that all sounds fantastic and I'll keep you posted on all of that. I was talking to um, Michael recently over Twitter just as a bit of a catch up to see where he's at, whether he got hold of uh, a few of those big names that he was trying to get hold of. He managed to get Angela Mao Ying and Ung Si Yen, uh, which is uh, great news. Couldn't get hold of Bolo, but he did get uh, Bolo's son, uh, David Young. Bruce Lay, unfortunately, is uh, proving slightly more tricky to uh, pin down for the interview, but Michael is still trying. Uh, There's still time. They're currently editing the documentary as I speak, so um, that would be great if they could get hold of Bruce Lay for that movie as well. Listen, I'll keep you updated on the latest goings-on there with that fantastic documentary. It does sound great. Remember, you can check out Michael on the Clones cast. In the meantime, that's available wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow Michael on Twitter at Michael Worth. His Instagram is at the Michael Worth, and the Instagram page for all the Bruce Bloitation stuff is uh, at Bruce Bloitation underscore Bible. Uh, those Blu-ray releases as well, they sound incredible, so can't wait for those. Um, stay tuned to the usual Kung Fu Movie Guide channels for updates regarding all of that so we're on twitter facebook etc etc also michael seemingly has a ton of other movie projects on the go uh, at any one time so uh, i'm particularly excited about this new uh, mma movie the butterfly guard that sounds really good uh, that'll be coming out soon so again i'll keep you posted on that um what else is there check out the website obviously for reviews kungfumovieguide.com 
uh, and the podcast will continue as always. We will be back in two weeks' time with another guest from the world of martial arts movies. I do hope you can join me. Until next time, take care, stay safe, food followers, and I will say bye for now. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.